This is Soundmaking, a podcast made by Hogan Stenner and myself, Matthew Shlomovitz. Each episode of Soundmaking features a composer or performer discussing the how and why of music they've created. For this episode of Soundmaking, I spoke with cellist Alice Purton and composer Sam Salem. Alice and Sam are both members of Distractfold Ensemble, one of the most interesting new music groups around. During the lockdown, the ensemble released an album of solo works called The New Unusual, and we recommend you check out this very fine LP, which includes works by Hannah Hartman, Andrew Greenwald, Steve Takasugi, and many more. In this episode, we spoke about the track This Is Fine, which Sam and Alice collaborated on. We covered a range of topics, including machine learning, Alice's singing, Sam's childhood memories of carry-on films, and the DIY studio Alice built in her bedroom to record this piece. My name's Sam Salem. Um, I'm a composer. I grew up in Derby, born in Nottingham. I'm British Jordanian, but neither, and I now live in London. My name is Alice Purton. I grew up in Tunbridge Wells in Kent, and I now live in Leighton in East London. I am a performer, mainly performing on the cello, um, but I also do vocals as well, or keyboards, or homemade electronics and object percussion, whatever's required of me. I specialise in working in chamber groups and small groups. I do a lot of contemporary music, newly written music, um, but also some improvising and some more classical repertoire as well. My piece is called This Is Fine, and it's uh, featured on The New Unusual, uh, an album recorded and produced by Distractfold Ensemble uh, during the lockdown stroke pandemic stroke ongoing pandemic so the album grew out of uh, a podcast that we started in order to essentially keep busy but also to keep connected with people that we know and work with and admire so we started a podcast called conversations from quarantine where we'd each talk to someone a composer that we'd all work with a lot Um, and out of that we thought you know what would be really interesting would be to commission some solo works and this is for a few reasons we'd never really Generally, these days, we don't program solo work, so I thought it was kind of funny from that perspective. (laughs) But also, it's the only thing that we could actually do to keep going during this time. I I knew we could commission solo works and that the performers could learn them and record them at home. Um, So it became a viable project and a way of keeping us together as a group, I guess. The piece is scored for live cello and voice, which are to be performed by me simultaneously. Um, It's important that they're both performed live because... um, The piece explores some beating where the cello and the voice interact with each other. Um, There's also some electronics, which I believe are mostly made up of an AI that Sam trained on the recordings that I sent him. Um, So they're kind of a version of me. There are a lot of elements to this piece. Um, Essentially, it's a work for solo cello, a little bit of performative electronics, but not as much as my other work. Uh, fixed media, um, both in terms of tape and in terms of video. The source material for the piece was actually the opening title music to a carry-on film called Follow That Camel. Um, So this is interesting in the context of my work for a couple of reasons. One, I generally work from field recordings um, of specific locations, but Because of lockdown, I couldn't really do that. And I had this kind of uh, vestigial idea left over from a piece that I'd written uh, the year before called Midlands, which was to use some of this 
carry-on material. But it's important that I say the use of this, like, uh, bawdy 1960s, 1970s, very broad comedy, it's not really a critique, it's something else. Like, I'm not trying to say with this piece that bad things are bad and stereotypes are bad. Uh, My attachment to the material is actually quite genuine in that when I was a kid, I used to watch these films with my dad and the Arabs... Uh, depicted in the films they didn't uh, register to me as being like racial stereotypes I was I just took it on on face value due to being a kid obviously as an adult it reads a little differently but it's more about nostalgia and for me that that's where my lockdown mind has gone it's it's gone in a in a kind of nostalgic swirl like a hauntological swirl or something so I took this introductory material and I ran it through a lot of processes stretched it out pulled it apart squeezed it and I extracted a lot of the pitch relationships and intervals for the piece from from carry on from follow that camel so that's the source of the the pitches and the structures. When approaching the cello, when approaching Alice's part, I guess I was thinking about two things. Um, Very broadly, I was thinking about the beating that Alice can achieve between singing and playing. So a lot of the score is just about intervals held or unison held and pitch bends in one direction or another to create this kind of beating interference patterns. Um, But I was also thinking about the relationship between tone and noise that she can achieve so well with her bowing. So there's a lot of transitions into and out of noise and a lot of, um, I guess, these beating, pitch-bending interference patterns. opens with me singing and playing a G at the same time. Uh, The voice and the cello both start a quarter tone sharp, um, but the voice glissandos down through the G and to a quarter tone below the G. Um, The cello is playing an artificial harmonic and I think the voice is sounding an an octave lower. Um, The bow is also moving from clear sound into noise and also crescendoing. So you get this kind of melting Um, of this very similar but slightly shifting pitch into each other Um, and then you suddenly hear the AI sounds of me kind of mumbling away very quietly in the background. Um, I've always really uh, enjoyed singing a lot for myself but not really had much chance to do it in public or desire or cause, I'm not sure which. Over the lockdown, just like many of my fellow musicians, I was getting very frustrated at the lack of an audience. Um, So I started sharing some bits and bobs that I was doing on social media, which tended to be kind of um, me singing folk songs and accompanying myself on the cello. So I think when we came to start these collaborations, I was feeling a little bit more confident to call myself a singer or at least to you know, invite people to use that in their compositions. And as it turned out, all of the composers involved in this project ended up writing for me with the cello and voice. Sam's piece really challenges me because the material is very high, a lot of it, and requires a lot of control, both with pitch and dynamic. Um, So it's been 
it stretched me, I would say. Playing and singing at the same time is something that I've actually, when I think about it, have done quite a lot over the years, partly with my teaching. When you're teaching songs to groups of kids, you need to be able to keep it exciting. So I'll just find myself accompanying myself on the cello. But also with my practice to keep scales and things interesting, I've often added my voice as a, as an, a second element so or a third element. I do a lot of scale practice to drones um, in thirds and then maybe add my voice as a fifth. Uh, I just find that it really helps me stay on top of intonation. I started to compose studies just to explore the territory a little bit and Alice very patiently and diligently uh, performed them and sent them to me. I took all of the materials from our collaboration, all the materials from the process, and I used a um, neural synthesis algorithm called Prism Sample RNN, which is a recursive neural network, to create a model of Alice learning the piece, essentially. So all of the tape materials from the recording, everything that isn't Alice playing live is actually generated by a neural network, which is interesting because it's Alice learning the piece and what we hear is the network learning Alice, you know? So that there's sort of a relationship there. Um, but what I like about that material specifically is that it has a real, again, like a hauntology, hauntological kind of texture, a nostalgic texture because it's so noisy. The way the machine synthesizes sound, it takes all these weird little swoops and swerves um so at the start of the training process it's all noise it's crackles and pops and then towards the end it just gets fixated and stuck and you end up with all these static uh textures at the beginning of the lockdown my recording setup was quite limited it's expanded a bit now but at the time i only had one dpa microphone uh, with a gooseneck to attach to the cello and a sound card and that was it, really. Um, so when it came time to record, I walked down to Finsbury Park to meet Sam in person, who handed me some microphones um, and I took them home. And I set about constructing a suitable recording environment, which in the end turned out to be a really wonky, wobbly sort of blanket fort is the best way of describing it. Um, I found as many blankets and duvets and pillows as I could and attached them onto my curtains and made myself this really um, strange little hole that was just big enough for me to sit in with the cello and start and stop the um, recording with my bow. I had to kind of lean down and point at the space bar. Uh, and yeah, I spent quite a lot of time in there and it did start to feel like a sort of mad person's cave. Um so the actual sound is being recorded from one microphone very close to the cello and then one microphone that's a bit further away that captures a bit more of my voice. The recordings themselves, despite having been recorded in what sounds like a kind of like a duvet pillow fort, were actually really good. So I didn't I didn't need to do too much with them um, in terms of EQing and and editing. There wasn't anything super unusual there. A little bit of compression, a little bit of EQing just to scoop out a bit of the room resonance. All of the materials that 
were sent into the neural network and retrieved. I was very much not precious about them uh, and processed them, some time stretching, some looping, some granulation. One thing that's been particularly unusual about this experience for me is that normally the pieces I feel the strongest connection to, that I feel I've really understood the emotional landscape of, um, are the pieces that I've been able to perform lots of times and you know been in that situation with an audience, having to guide them through the energy of the piece um, and that's how I really understand them but obviously I haven't had the opportunity to do that in this case and even further than that um, you know although I recorded all the materials and sent them to Sam he's the one that has constructed the final performance and yet somehow I feel a deep sense of connection with the performance itself so much so that the first time I listened to it um I got an email from Sam with the file. I think it must have been in the morning. I definitely was still in bed. Anyway, I got the email, I grabbed my headphones, went to listen. And as soon as it started, I just began to cry. Um, the colours, the flow, um, the gestures, even the ones that I'm not actually making, um, I find them really deeply moving. <laughs> <laughs> 